And welcome back to Talking True Cases. My name's Mark Williams-Thomas, and today I have a very interesting man who has joined me, Ahmed Yakub, who is a criminal defence solicitor. He is the director of Morris Andrews Solicitors, a criminal law practice in Birmingham, founded in 1988. A very colourful and interesting character, and I'll introduce him very shortly. But before I do that, more details about two cases I want to talk to you about. We had the tragic death of two young children in Bournemouth, and also the social media nuisance, Mizzy. On May the 31st, emergency services were called to Bournemouth Pier following suggestions that swimmers had been caught in a riptide. Ten people were in trouble in the water, which included 12-year-old Sunar Khan and 17-year-old Joe Abes. Both Sunar and Joe were rushed to hospital, but sadly they lost fight for life. Very quickly, the news broke on social media and news platforms, including the police and they notified the public that they'd arrested a 40-year-old man who was at the time on the water, they say. Very little details have been released in relation to this arrest. And we now know, as a result of the coroner's outcome, that that might be a very different outcome. The man has been released under investigation. And I'm sure, as a result of the coroner's outcome, he will be considering his next course of action. Police gave a number of press briefings. They released information, but very limited amount. Local MP Toby uh, Elwood has criticised the police for the lack of information they've given, which he says has led to speculation on social media. Dorset Police's Crime Commissioner has said that he will now launch an investigation into their communication strategy. Rip tides and rip, current, rip currents are very dangerous. They pull away and they can certainly pull away individuals who are swimming even some of the swimmers can get caught under under riptides dorset coroner has said that the post-mortem has revealed that the cause of death was drowning so very sadly the outcome is that these two young children lost their life and fighting in well uh, in swimming there was actually another death over the weekend, and that was in in um, just outside Middlesbrough. An 18-year-old young girl was in the water, and she lost her fight for life. And, and I have to say, at this point, it's beautiful outside, certainly as the summer holiday is approaching now, but I can't warn you enough of the dangers of water. Water, even a matter of millimetres, you can lose your life in that, particularly as a young child. But as you get older... And you think you can swim off, you go into the water, but the water has all kinds of dangers in it, particularly currents that you can't see. So please, please do take care over the summer holidays. Enjoy yourself, have great fun, but please take care. Right, my next story, and many of you will have seen the large amount of coverage, and that is a man who's known as Bakari Bronzo Ogaro, but he's best known by the name of Mizzy. 18-year-old from Hackney in London. He's made his name for himself with TikTok, with his compilation of videos where he sets out to cause upset pain to others and for the amusement of him and his friends. Many will have seen his videos where he took an elderly woman's dog, jumped on an orthodox Jew pretending to be leapfrogging and entered a family home with no permission, just walking simply. And he even goes up to people at railway stations saying that he wants to die. He stands for everything that is wrong with social media, but his videos create algorithms that reward high volume traffic. And of course, the more traffic he gets, 
the greater the reward from him. This is the new generation of social media entrepreneurs whose aim is to amass hundreds, millions of viewers. Quite simply, he says, hate brings likes and likes brings views. He couldn't be wrong. The sad reality is, is that the man causes pain to an awful lot of people. And in fact, recently, two people who are fairly similar in many of the ways that they communicate and look for publicity is Mizzy and Piers Morgan. Both of them appeared together on the same show, Piers Morgan's show, of course. And he basically, Mizzy said to him, you're trying to get at me because I'm black. Well, racism exists and it has existed. We know that for a very long time with individuals and authorities. And we've seen that within policing. There's a terrible situation where police forces are definitely elements of inherent and institutional racism. And I've talked about this a lot yeah, on, on different podcasts with my friend Nazir Afsal. But the reality is, is that when you have an individual like Mizzy who play the race card, it does so much damage for those people who genuinely do suffer racism. Well, this story has a long way to go and play out. And the reality is, is that Mizzy continues to receive considerable attention. And as a result of that, it does beg the question, who's winning? Him? Us? The police? I think the reality is, is that as long as we keep talking about Mizzy, and as long as he keeps making his videos, he's the winner. So let me move on to today's guest. And Mr. Yakub has over 15 years experience of handling complex cases and serious crimes. He coined the first significant slogan, there is a defense for every offense, in his viral media videos, gathering hundreds, thousands of views and followers. And that his main drive is to have more people educated and less people convicted. He says what's inspired him to become a lawyer was one of his close friends was arrested for attempted murder and he believed he was innocent of that crime. So let's start with that case. Thank you so much for joining me. It's fantastic having you on board. I watched some of your uh, clips over the last few days and um, and you're certainly a, an interesting character. Tell me how you got into this. What, what made you get into criminal law? You, you talked in terms of your friend. How did that end up? If I never got into criminal law, there would have been a lot of innocent people who were, would have been in prison over the last couple of years. But the main drive for me to get into criminal law was what you've just mentioned about my friend who was convicted of attempted murder. And still to this day, I believe he was innocent. And he got convicted in relation to that. Have you spoken to him since then? Are you still in contact with him? Yes, he's one of my very good friends, still. So let's go back to starting this criminal law practice. What, what made you, you're obviously doing a great job now, but what made you decide, you know what, actually I can make a difference here? A lot of people don't know the basics of law. Right. You'll be surprised a police officer could come up to them and ask them anything and everything and they will think or they have the misconception, not everybody, but a lot of people do have the misconception that they have to answer everything that is asked of them by the police. And 
they have to volunteer information to them. But I know that's not the case. You know that's not the case. A lot of people know that's not the case. But I'm talking about the majority, the general public, the layman, they don't know. And how does that play out for your practice? So you, uh, am I right in saying you run a 24-hour telephone line, which is yes. a, 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 and is that very busy? Very busy. I think we are one of the busiest firms in the whole country right now. As a result of that telephone line or just generally because of your profile? A bit of both. I mean, of that phone line only rings because of me, doesn't it? Right. So I have represented a lot of people in the past and through that my client base and my network is huge and I think I am the go-to man for a lot of people out there when their family members or friends are in trouble. So, And why would you say you're the go-to man? What if, is that because you're very successful in what you do? Have you had some great results or is it just because you've got a big profile? A bit of everything. See, uh, the sauce requires uh, the recipe of, you have to be, like you mentioned, Mizzy, why are people talking about him? Because it's made noise. My profile, what I did when I appeared on the social media circle, I made a lot of noise so people were talking about me. Right. Automatically generates traffic and it with traffic comes clients and of course we provide a service and um, that's that's how i did it basically and i wanted to do something what other people are not in my profession a lot of people don't like to go in front of cameras not in my profession just generally you know mm. people have issues with talking in front of cameras i don't of course you don't do you think you have a general do you think there's a main group that you're targeted at i mean i could see you being very popular with the younger generation uh and and perhaps the generation who feel they're, you know, policing's massively changed. The older generation have a lot more respect for the police, and, and, and understandably so in many cases, than the younger generation. And people should respect the police. I'm always saying that the police do not deserve to be disrespected. If a police officer is coming up to you and asking you, for example, your insurance papers, if you're stopped in a vehicle, or your license, you can provide this basic information to them because they're simply doing a job. They are going to go home to their families. They're providing for them. And working as a police officer is a means for them providing for their families. So police officers do not deserve to be disrespected. And I've seen a lot of videos now circulating one recently when the guy was recording the police officer the police officer was just asking him simple questions there was a young lad recording and he was basically being an idiot so if somebody is going to be disrespecting a police officer you can't expect them to be all sorry sir and thank you sir after being disrespected nobody likes to be disrespected <laughs> so this is what youngsters need to understand cooperate with the police don't disrespect them my message is that you don't have to volunteer any information based on the allegation that they are putting forward that doesn't mean be disrespectful to them 
Right. I understand. I, I, and, that's, and that's an important point, isn't it? You know, I think it's important. People knowing their rights, not right. disrespecting the police or even inciting criminal behavior. I've been labeled some what by some people as inciting criminal behavior. And I tell them, no, that's not what I do. I'm simply trying to educate people. And most of my videos are basic. And a lot of them are with a client sitting next to me who I've got permission to film and talk about his case from. And I've just got a result on that case. So I'm just... And do you get... Do you get criticism from either from the same quarter, either the criminal justice system or from other people? Because, you know, you are doing what very few solicitors do. You know, the large majority of those people in the criminal justice system, you know, care about their day to day business quietly without a profile. You're completely the opposite. I am. Because I believe to get noticed, you have to make noise and you have to cause a bit of disrupt disruption not in a disrespectful way not in a way that i'm getting um, i'm disrupting people directly but you have to make noise to get noticed and that's exactly what i did and that's to get noticed would you say that i mean uh, i think we're all responsible who you know we all have certain amount of egos you know there's no doubt that to anybody that appears on television or works in you know the journalistic field sitting in front of a camera has an ego would you say that that is mixed in with the work that you do so there's a there's a purpose for what you're setting out to do which is to ensure that everyone is educated but there's there's a bit of an ego there as well no it's not ego i would say it's right. called confidence okay you have to have the confidence to say what you want and say it with conviction and try to get your point across to people when you're speaking to them and what would you say about the criminal justice system do you think that we i mean i've been involved in the criminal justice system for a very long time as you know as a former detective and, and now obviously poacher turned gamekeeper on the other side and very often i work with people who are challenging the the positions of the police and i'll take it on board you know if people are if the police have got it wrong then they they have to stand up and say it because the impact on people's lives when the police get it wrong is massive what do you think the current state of the criminal justice system is at i feel that the uk's justice system is amongst one of the best in the whole world now, the yeah. reason i say that is everyone is entitled to a fair trial if somebody is arrested a lot of people have this misconception or they think that when somebody is arrested, they're automatically guilty of something. There yeah. are people out there that get arrested for the wrong reasons. There are people out there that I know have walked into conspiracies without even realizing. So you must give everyone a fair chance to have a trial. And that's the UK justice system. And we are tried, not we. Defendants are tried by a jury, and that jury panel is selected at random. And these are upstanding members of the community with no previous convictions. So they are judging you. Uh, so they are making. I mean, decision. the, the principles are there. You're you're absolutely right. The principles are there. You know, innocent until proven guilty. You know, we have, as you say, I firmly believe, and I've travelled around the whole of the world working with different police forces, and we have, you know, one of the best police forces. Mm -hmm 
no doubt about it at all. But the problem is, and going back to the point you just made, is that the perception of so many is once you are charged, you're guilty. And, and in fact, even to a degree that perhaps even once you're arrested, you're guilty. That's the public perception that's kind of like now become you know, a, a kind of a bit of a norm. But the reality is, is that if you are charged, you have to you have to put up a defense and you have to fight for your innocence because the reality is, is it's um it's a pretty risky business to be in otherwise, isn't it? Of course, it would be have to fight for your innocence. And it's I can't even imagine what a daunting experience it'd be for someone who's going through the trial procedure, who's having to sit through a two-month trial, for example, for a serious offence like murder, and they're having to sit through that trial with the prosecutor saying all sorts of stuff about them, and they know they are looking at life imprisonment. When they get found not guilty, imagine the feeling that is, that's going through them, and also, the feeling that must be going through them whilst they're having that trial and people are telling them that they're ne never going to see daylight again. Imagine that. I've, I've experienced that a number of times with clients. And um, what type, what what um, cases do you tend to deal with most? Do you have a particular area of expertise that you, you focus no, on? I tend to deal with the more serious cases. I've dealt okay. with, um, I'm dealing with a few murder cases right now as we speak. Right. Um, drugs cases, I actually do quite a lot of drugs cases. Anything serious, I actually give it a lot of attention. I and do. are you very hands-on yourself? Are you, you, you're the lawyer and then you instruct counsel, and so you're yes. very much hands-on? I'm very much hands-on, so when somebody's arrested, they'll call our firm out, and of course, you know the procedure, somebody from our firm, it could be myself, even goes to the police station, and then after that, they are... Once the case goes to Crown Court, then we get counsel. We've got in-house advocates as well. Okay. And how big is your company now? In terms of? It's staffing and, and other solicitors. Well, there's solicitor-wise, we've got, cause, because our department, a magistrate's court department is not very busy, so I don't require a huge number of solicitors. What I do require are clerks who are preparing my workload for the crime yeah. court work so there's three solicitors and we've got a few police station accredited reps accredited police station reps and we also have admin staff and a few paralegals there's about 14 the team is right now and i take it you love what you do of course i love it i love it what they say you gone Sorry, they say if you love what you do, you don't have to work a day in your life. What gets you out of bed in the morning? The willing to the willingness to succeed. Okay. Uh, and what what does success look like for you? Would you say success is freedom to do anything you want whenever you are to worship and the Lord everything ultimately boils down to that to be fair to worship the lord whenever you feel like it and in terms of one of the areas i know you've done a bit of work around is police corruption and the issues that exist within the police service have you focused on any particular cases uh, i'm involved in a case right now i can't get into too much detail because it's ongoing you see but 
it involves a senior police officer and he is right now explaining how he was treated by the police force right and he's what, going internally to, so like whistleblowing type of scenario no he's been charged with a criminal offense he's so been now, charged right he's been charged with counseling and procuring so now he's letting his version out as well okay so he's um, he's he's turned as it were and he's now letting letting it go in terms of what's happened to him of course is yeah so um and how's that likely to play out is is he got a lot of things are they quite interesting to say of course there are is is mentioned the racism that goes on he's a man of color he's mentioned how some of his colleagues have been racist towards him He's also mentioned how he used to be looked down upon by some senior officers, even though he was a senior officer himself. Uh, even a, even his weight, about his weight, he used to be um, discriminated against. So all of that stuff is just coming out. So you, you get to see a different world. The public normally don't get to see stuff like that. Absolutely, yeah. Tell me what you make of, of Mizzy's comments about, you know, you're only after me because I'm black. You, you know, you live in this world where you deal with racism and I'm sure a lot of your clients have come to you where there's been situations and, and I've certainly dealt with, you know, cases where the police have dealt with people and they have quite clearly been racist. And, and, in, and in fact, you know, I've talked quite strongly around, I think some individuals inherently have it in them and it's, it's not the fact that it, you know, it's situational, it's inherently within them. What do you think of Mizzy's views to say that? Because my view is that that's so detrimental to those very people who are facing real racism. To be fair, I think Mizzy is just jumping on the bandwagon because of his colour. Now, again, he's a very popular boy and I think he's going to get far in whatever he does because he's making a lot of noise. Mm. But to, he's, nobody has actually said that he's doing what he's doing because of his colour. What he's doing has just been a nuisance. Well, he said that. He said that, hasn't he? That's he his... said that. He's saying yeah. that himself. Nobody's actually pointed that. I've not seen anybody. No. Or anyone. I actually find some videos funny, but some of them I think that's, you know, totally out of order. Hmm. Uh, in terms of racism, again, what you said, it's inherited. It does exist. We can't say racism does not exist. I've experienced it myself hmm. at the start of my career. I don't want to go in too much detail about it but it is something that is inherited and some people are just racist it doesn't matter it yeah. doesn't mean that the whole world is against you some people are racist i mean i could come across a racist person and their brother could be a good person and not racist so it's, it's just one of them ones it does exist and i don't i don't think we can ever get rid of it no but it, but not every, but not everyone's a racist and that's a really important point to make that's what people need to understand. Mm. It's you can't judge people by the opinion of others. You must make yeah. your own judgment about a certain individual. Mm. One of the questions that's come in from uh, Julie, which is, what do you think goes wrong and how do you feel about the CCRC and how they work? So, I mean, the CCRC, so let's just explain. The CCRC is a Criminal Case Review Commission. They are they have set up, there's an awful lot of ex-police officers on there, but they are set up in, in essence to look at 
cases where there's a consideration where perhaps miscarriage of justice exists uh, and they have quite far-reaching powers to get hold of documentation, get hold of evidence, uh, and ultimately they can refer a matter back to the Court of Appeal. So, sorry, just give that little explanation to people that are, are watching. Do you Have you had much dealings with the CCRC? I have on a number of occasions, and they are, although they are very helpful, but let's be honest, I'll be honest, once you have had your trial and been convicted, even if there are grounds for appeal, just say for argument's sake, and we've gone, managed to get up to the Court of Appeal, usually appeals don't go past a single judge. Mm. It's very difficult because, as you know, it's peers, other judges saying other judges made a mistake, and they don't tend to do that. And judges, when directing juries, they are very careful because they don't want to get appealed. So I'm just saying, if yeah. a appeal does manage to get past the single judge and gets to the court of appeal and it fails, I think there's a very low chance of success at you, you, you speak a lot of... You speak a lot of sense. It's a bit like it's a bit like talking to myself, listening to you. I mean, you do talk a lot of sense, and I think you one of the things that's so one of the things that's so true is the criminal justice system. Yeah, you know, we do have the best, but the the whole judge process at the moment still worries me massively, and has worried me for a long time because, you know, judges, as you say, they're not going to criticise their colleagues, and by and large. They all know each other. They come from the same uh, education setup, which by primarily is private school. There's a few that don't haven't come through the private school system more recently, but overwhelmingly they are private school, university educated, uh, and that prevents them. Yeah, that's right, and it prevents them. But I also have the problem with pathologists. So one of the recent I've done I do a lot of reviews in relation to murders, and and one of my concerns is pathologists not prepared to criticize other pathologists and you know that is a big problem when one 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 expert particularly in the pathology world isn't prepared to challenge another pathology expert exactly and that again it's they i don't know what's their agenda for exactly not challenging the pathologist because murder cases when people are facing life imprisonment mm. It's again, it's very easy to be convicted, but once convicted, like I said, you only have one bite at the cherry, and it's very difficult to appeal. I try appealing some cases, yeah. and it's very difficult. So, yeah, I've come across that too, to be fair. Same thing. And it's a very, I know when I first joined the police service in my first two years in the service, they set up a new team, which was a community safety team, and one of the, and I went into it, and one of the areas that I really started to focus on was looking at youth diversionary policies to try and keep the young people out of the criminal justice system. And it was pretty successful. You know, we didn't work, didn't, wasn't successful to everybody, but some of those young people who we tried to get hold of early, work with them through their whole you know, offending behavior to try and keep them out of being charged. And that is the problem, isn't it? Once you are on that conveyor belt, that conveyor belt of the criminal justice system, it is so very difficult to get off it. It's a very slippery road and you just keep slipping down it. And in the end, you end up getting life imprisonment. I've seen kids, very good kids, able, talented kids, 
and you speak to them, they're like 16, 17 years old and they've just started doing crime. So now I've been doing this for a number of years now, so I've seen their decline over their years. Mm. And of course, we need something. Prevention is better than cure, as they say. So we need something to prevent it from happening in the first place. But we need to get to the root of the problem. Why are kids doing this? Why are they doing it? There's a lot of opportunities out there right now. There's resources. There's everything. It's Is it broken homes? Is it because of bad parenting? Why I mean, society has changed, hasn't it? You know, the perception now that there was, I mean, who are the who are the role models in school, to school pupils now? Who are the role models to us? You know, the role models when I grew up were, you know, police officers, even even politicians, you know, doctors, those type of people. But the reality now, who who are the role models? The role models are for some people, you know, even the likes of Mizzy, you know, some of those social media, there'll be people who see them, you know, Andrew Tate, for example, you know, Andrew Tate was a role model for a lot of young men, particularly, you know, who had these you know, very misogynistic views and attitudes which prevailed you know, significantly through social media. And, I, and my worry is, is that you know, unless we tackle those issues, we're just on the decline. We have to go back to schools and we have to start to change that. And we saw that with Sarah Everard, you know, that the whole process in terms of what children have access to now and the respect for women amongst some young people is very, very poor. See, exactly. They've got access to everything. And you've just mentioned Andrew Tate and his views, whether you think they're misogynist or not. I feel that what he promotes is hard work. That's one thing that he promotes. He is not promoting being lazy. He's, he's telling people, he's telling young people, young men to go out there and work hard. That's one thing that everybody has to agree with. Of course, like people like Mizzy, a lot of kids think when looking at people like that is they can go and make a few videos and just get famous. And out of yeah. that, they make a career out of it. But people like Mizzy and stuff like that, I think they come around once, once like after they do, you know, yeah, they, come. they do. They do. I mean, so. that's celebrity, the celebrity status, you know, celebrities going back, you know, the five, 10 years, you know, we went through a stage, didn't we, that everyone wanted to get onto celebrity television and, and we have it with our Love Island now to a lesser degree, but yeah. it's the role models have changed completely. You know, how many people would look up to you or I and see us as a role model? Now there'd be some people, but the large majority I don't think would. And that's changed in the society that we want, that we're bringing people up in. And, and actually, we want those people. Yeah, you know, we want to get people who are, you know, perhaps on the on the edge of of criminality or, or dropping out. We want them to think, do you know what? Actually, they work hard. I'd like to be like you. You know, you've got some great. You know, you, I haven't seen your house, but your car looks pretty pretty swish. And um, yeah, there we are, pretty swish car. In fact. Okay, it's beautiful. Have you got a blue one and a yellow one? Do you have a yellow one as well? Have I seen the yellow one? Is that one yours? And an orange one. And an orange one, right. The yellow one's gone. Oh, That's gone. The blue one's gone, is it? The yellow one's gone. The yellow one's oh, gone. Oh, the yellow one's gone. Okay. And let's talk cars for a minute. Why Why? Why that car? I like it. Um, I've worked very hard to get where I am now. So I'm just enjoying myself, and I like that car. It's a beautiful car, Lamborghini Urus. 
It's a lovely car, practical car, five seats. You can take your family shopping in it. It's a supercar at the same time. And it's just a lovely car. I'm into my cars. I like my cars. What kids nowadays, they don't realize that if they work hard, they can achieve anything and nothing worth having comes easy. Mm. Social media has corrupted a lot of kids. They think that they can do something and they'll get rich. But it, it doesn't yeah. work that way. Meet, meet any wealthy man, speak to any wealthy man. They worked their ass off for years. They're so mm. disciplined. They do the same thing for years after years after years. The whole life, basically. People like Elon Musk, I've heard that he sleeps in his factory already somewhere. So <laughs> yeah, you have to yeah, wear he He's got a little... It's hard work, yeah. And I think there's the no problem is, is that, you know... There's no substitute no, for whatsoever. I, I totally agree. I mean, I think the reality is, and I, and I often do, you know, talks to colleges and schools, you know, as far as, um, you know, uh, in, kind of a, to give them a, a focus in terms of leaving. And one of the motivational speeches, and one of the things I often say to young people is that, you know, the reality is you don't leave school and get given the keys to a brand new uh, BMW, Mercedes, and a £30,000 wage. The reality is you have to go and work hard for it. And I think that so sadly, so few people now realize that actually it is hard work and it takes years and years and years of devotion and time to work up to get the riches. Of course, anybody can do something for a short period of time. Motivation is what starts you off, but you have to keep going without discipline. You're not going to finish that task off or whatever that. So have you is. always been driven? Have you always been driven? What did you do as a young lad to make money? I was always driven. I used to um, do the milk rounds. Right. I used to do the milk rounds. I used to work in a retail shop. Um, in a hair shop, I worked in a hair shop before. I've done a bit of everything to be fair, but I've been. And was that driven by you? Or was that driven by your parents? Parents, my parents instilled the hard work inside me, basically, and all my siblings. To be fair, uh, it's they've taught us that. Look, they've come. My parents were from Pakistan. They came to UK, and they still made something of themselves. What they tried to instill inside us, which they did, they managed to do it, and they did it very good. I'm having difficulties with doing that with my kids, I'll be honest with you, hard work. But what they used to tell us stories that, look, we've done it. We've come from over there and we've done it. You've got the resources. You're born here. You've got a family supporting you. You've got parents supporting you. You have to do it and do it better. Do you That's think what? it's harder for, I think one of the interesting things, do you think it's harder for families to instill that when actually you, your parents presumably came over here and they had to work really, really hard themselves for a long time to get anything? Um, and do you think that therefore reflects probably slightly more on the children to think, actually, do you know, I'm seeing my parents work hard and, and don't have a great deal. And therefore, as a result of that, that's making me work hard as well. Uh, of course, See, the, 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 that's the thing. They worked hard. They didn't have much to show for it because of the resources yeah. at the time. Mm. We have a lot to show for it because we've got a lot more resources now. Mm. It's not the same that it was 20, 30 years ago. Mm. And tell me about a few interesting cases that you've worked on. 
there's loads. I mean, <laughs> what, what do you have on at the moment? What's your current workload at the moment? You've obviously got that police officer. You've got that senior police officer. What are the right now? It's right. a misconduct in a public office. That's the case. And right. I've got a um, kidnapping case. Sorry, not kidnapping. Attempted murder case starting very soon. I was just working on that just before, um, before I joined here. And it's a case that we're, we're asking the prosecution for some sort of lesser, not lesser role, a charge, lesser charge. So okay. they for attempted murder and a possession of firearm with intent to endanger life. We are asking for a possession of a firearm with intent to cause fear of violence. They've said no, but let's see what happens when the trial gets closer. They've actually agreed if two co-defendants enter pleas to possession of a firearm with intent to endanger life, they're willing to drop the attempted murder. But I don't want that. I want possession of a firearm with intent to cause fear of violence because I actually think that's what happened. They just went there to right. scare them. They didn't and want that's co-defendants, is it? Do you are you looking after one of the defendants? One, I'm looking after yeah. one. And that tends to be the case, isn't it? You know, we've got co-defendants. You'll have one solicitor representing each solicit each uh, defendant. Yeah, it's better that way because you don't yeah. you're not, you're not open to a potential conflict occurring. So mm. once a potential conflict occurs, then you have to get rid of one of them, which, of course, will leave a sour taste in their mouth as well. So you'd rather just get one and focus on them from the start. And what trials do you enjoy the most? The ones that I win. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely. And, and, uh, and in terms of where do you see yourself in five years' time? In five years' time, um, Maurice Andrews Solicitors will be an internationally recognised firm. So you're going to get you're going to go international, are you? Yeah. And where? So at the moment you've got offices in Birmingham. Birmingham, I've got satellite satellite offices across the UK in um, London and also up north in Bradford. So I can see right. clients when I want. But nowadays it's so easy. Like, um, where are you? Where are you sitting now? So I'm in Exeter. You're in Exeter. So you're about four hours away from me. Yeah, you're about three hours. Away. Yeah. Yeah. I've had a case in Exeter. The guy got 27 years. <laughs> oh, dear. Didn't get him off. <laughs> there was too, too much evidence against him. <laughs> so where are you going to go internationally? Well, Dubai. What countries are you going to go to? Dubai. 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 You have to get, do you have to get some special permit to license? Yes. Here, don't you? I'm trying to get one for Dubai and also my home country in Pakistan. Right. And where do, so you see that opening fairly soon? Yeah, in next year or so, hopefully. So here's the problem, and it's a problem for everybody, and I have this problem in, in the work that I do, is people want you. Oh, good job you brought that up. People want me, and my staff know that full well. They know that. Yeah. They don't deny that, and they, we've, we've had... We've lost cases because I, I couldn't manage to see clients on time. Mm. But it is what it is. I can't, you know. But there's know. the problem. There's the challenge you've got when you want to open offices elsewhere is people want you. So are there four other yous around? In the future, there will be. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're going to start, you're going to start cloning people. Well, not cloning, training. <laughs> 
training. They can't be another one like me. I'm made, I'm made from a clot. That clot doesn't exist anymore. But do you, do you, when you wake up in the morning and you're passionate about what you're going to, going to go and do, and is your drive to get people off or is your drive just to do the best for them? To do the best for them, to leave no stones unturned. Of course, I can't control the result. I actually tell my clients, sometimes clients say to me, what guarantee can you give me? I tell them the only guarantee we have in life is death. The only guarantee I can give you is that I will leave no stones unturned in the preparation of your case. And how proactive are you? I think one of the massive things about investigations now, particularly when they get very serious investigations, is that you know, the police do a certain amount, but there's a real onus now in terms of going to do your own inquiries investigation because very often the police will obviously paint their picture of their one-sided picture, but not the not the totality of, of all the other stuff. And whilst disclosure is about disclosing everything, that doesn't always happen. Say that again, sorry. You broke up slightly. Sorry, in terms of... So one of the aspects of, of investigation nowadays is that when the police charge you, you know, your onus now is to obviously prepare for the case. But how proactive are you in looking for other supporting evidence for your clients? I mean, I'll ask the clients if there is other evidence that I can get hold of that will assist our case. For example, you know, sometimes they ask us to, in, even in the police station stage, when somebody's getting interviewed, they will tell us that, look, if you go to speak to this guy, they will confirm I was here at that time. I've gone, I've sent a staff member, spoke to alibis, got them to come to the police station, told the police officers, and we managed to get NFAs at the police station for certain cases. Good. Well, listen, I'm conscious of time. I'm very grateful for you chatting. So what's the rest of the day look like? Rest of the day, half two, I've got a video link to Durham, um, Durham Prison, which is, again, far from me. So technology is so good now. I can see yeah. people all over the country but sitting here. So I've, I need to do that. Then I've got another conference at 6 p.m. and... Eight o'clock gym and then home, sleep, start the day. And is gym important for you? Gym is very important for me. Yeah, absolutely. I gym most days. and, and I You have to yeah. keep you sane, <laughs> otherwise you can't be. I need to have a bit of a workout every single day. Uh, so I, I sweat and it lets out, lets out bad toxins and everything. Gym is very good for you. I like to sit in a sauna too. So. And you're a workaholic? Yes. <laughs> no hesitation there. Yes, you have to be. You have to be brilliant. Listen, look after yourself. You take care. I shall follow your story. I shall follow your story with interest. And uh, I've just started following you on uh, TikTok, so uh, I shall follow you. And uh, I look forward to speaking to you again, perhaps uh, with another case or in the near future. But uh, thank you so much for coming thank on. Thank you very much for having me. Please do follow me on Instagram as well and send me a message. I'll give you a follow back. I'll uh, send you a message. You look after yourself. You take yeah. care. Thank you. Well, that was a very interesting conversation with Ahmed Yakub. He is a practicing defense solicitor primarily. He's been working now for the last 15 years. A fascinating individual. And what I found particularly fascinating about him is his drive. He's passionate. He's passionate about the work that he does to try and help his clients. And I can see that his approach to social media. The way that he puts himself out there, 
is appealing, is appealing to that generation because traditionally the criminal justice system is very backward. It doesn't promote itself in any great way. Of course, it's resilience to resistance to the media in many quarters. Yeah, we've only now recently had cameras into appeal courts, but criminal trials, you know, magistrates and crown courts still have no cameras in. I still think it's an area that should, and I think it should because transparency is so important. And if you enable transparency, you enable the public to understand the processes. And I think actually it would increase the confidence in the police service, it would increase the confidence in the Crown Prosecution Service, and it might even help reduce levels of crime. You never know. But my reality is, is that I am a firm believer, and, and actually I've spoken to, uh, to many other uh, individuals who work in the criminal justice system, and, and they are very supportive of it as well. Nazir Afzal, you know, he and I have debated it many, many times, saying that cameras should get into courts. Anyway, hasn't happened yet other than appeal courts, and I don't see it changing in the near future. So thank you so much for joining us this week. Uh, we will be back in, in a couple of weeks' time. Uh, we'll give you an update in relation to what that is. But until that time, look after yourself, take care. And if you do have any stories or any particular areas you want us to cover, do drop us a message. Until next time, take care and goodbye.